the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. And that's what Jesus said in John 10.10. And happy Easter to you. We want to encourage you to celebrate the resurrection today with this very special message from Pastor Sean. It's a sermon called The Last Word. It's time for Real Life Radio. And last words are one of those things that I think we all kind of like, you know, because the last word is kind of, we think it's the, like the final say. It's the most preeminent one. It's the, it's the one that's going to last, right? Musicians uh, have this little deal at the end of a song, you know, they play out the drummer, you know, guitars are playing. Well, there's always a guy in the group who's last note Larry, right? He is always going to go for the last note. You know, no matter what happens, the song is bum, and then ding, and you know, thank you, Larry, thank you. But you know, we always laugh about last note, Larry, because there's something about having that last word, guys. We'd love to have the last word in a conversation with our wife, wouldn't we? Let's just see what it feels like. What is that even like? I mean, <laughs> don't laugh too loudly, sir. You're not in this room alone. I just <laughs> encourage you, be very careful. I often get the last word in conversations with my wife. She goes out, the door closes. Yeah, now, see? Huh? Hmm? But the last word, it's something that just, you know, we, it, it kind of sets the tone. In fact, there's a book out that has actually collected famous last words, and they're the actual last words of people before they passed away. And, you know, there's all kinds of different things. You know, some people had prayers. Some people had, had obviously, thoughts of eternity, people of faith, and they understood that. There were some that though I just picked up that I thought were noteworthy and interesting. Composer. Jean-Philippe Rameau, he objected to a song being sung at his bedside because it was a priest singing. He said, what the devil do you mean to sing to me, priest? You're out of tune. Don't torture a man on his deathbed. (laughs) George Orwell's last written words were, at 50, everyone has the face he deserves. That's kind of some wise wisdom. Unfortunately, he died at age 46, so he never had a chance to live kind of what he said. Richard Mellon, multimillionaire president of Alcoa. He and his brother, Andrew, had this game of tag that had been going on for seven decades, their whole lives. Just a little tag, you know, kind of tag, you're it, you know. When Richard was on his deathbed, he called his brother over and whispered, and his brother's coming over. You can just imagine the, the tears in his eye, the, what's my brother going to say, I love you? He says, last tag, and he died. I'm just like, dear Lord, may I have that kind of game when I'm on my deathbed? Because that's game. It would have been tempting to give in to the self-gratifying desire to say, I love you, you're my brother, I've enjoyed life with you, stuff like that, okay? This guy had his eye on the ball till the very end. Last tag. And he goes down. His brother had to be it, so to speak, for four years, and he passed away after that. Leonardo da Vinci, somewhat maybe overly modest, said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. 
That's a level of drivenness. The guy who painted Mona Lisa going, man, I just didn't do enough. Drummer Buddy Rich died um, after surgery in 1987. As he was being prepped, a nurse asked him a regular kind of question that they ask. Is there anything you can't take? You know, she's thinking medicine. He says, yeah, country music. (laughs) His last words. Well done, sir. (laughs) Actor Michael Landon, you remember him. Little House on the Prairie, Highway to Heaven. Died after a long battle of cancer in 1991. His family was gathered around him, and his son said, It's time to move on. Landon said, you're right. It's time. I love you all. I would expect nothing less from Paul Ingalls. That was, I think, a great way to go. How about this? John Wayne. He died at 72 in L.A. Turned to his wife and said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. The Duke. To the end. Wilson Mitzner is best known for the little saying that he, that said, be nice to people on the way up. On the way down, you'll meet the same people. When he was on his deathbed, a priest said, I'm sure you'll want to talk to me. He told the priest, why should I talk to you? I've just been talking to your boss. <laughs> Last words. <laughs> nice. I have gone over your head, Father. <laughs> But the whole point of all those last words, some of those, you know, they're a little bit morbid, some of them are funny, some of them whatever. The whole point is death seems to always have the last word, doesn't it? I mean, we grow up in this whole thing with the lenses on that death has the last word. We live in the shadow of that reality. And this morning, what we address challenges that reality. And I want to ask you to kind of pull those lenses off for just a few moments and consider This is more than just a story. That there really is a different last word than we've been taught, trained, and conditioned to expect. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. I want to show you something. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. Jesus had just spoken healing to the servant of a centurion. A bunch of people with him. Powerful stuff. He spoke it, and the servant was healed. And we read in verse 11 of Luke chapter 7, Luke tells us, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So he wasn't alone. He got his disciples and this whole other group, some of them followers as well, some of them just people fascinated by how different Jesus was and the words he spoke, the way he spoke them, the power that he exhibited. And we're told, verse 12, as he approached the town gate town of Nain, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, so there are these two crowds coming, Jesus and his crowd, and all these people, they're all fired up and celebrating. And then there's this other crowd of people who are obviously mourning, trying to comfort this widow, who had just received the last word. She'd received really the ultimate last word, your son, whom you loved, he's dead, and there's nothing we can do. I'm sorry. Implicit were some other last words, though. You have no son, you have no husband. And in this culture, that means you have no certain means of support. It really was because the inheritance was passed through the sons, and it was designed to stay with the tribe to keep equity in the cultural system that had been set up in Israel. Now, verse 12 tells us, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, And he said, don't cry. I love that. I love that Jesus went to her and said, 
Don't cry. See, she'd received the last word, but now she received a compassionate word. I love that his first thought was for her. Not any kind of agenda. Her pain, her suffering. And I would ask you, does that bring you some comfort to know that that's the very heart of God, that he's like that? That his heart is for your situation, your condition. It's not just his agenda. Well, y'all screwed up and I got to fix everything, so here's the rules. You better follow them and kind of get, get it straight. And don't make me come down there. Contrary to the corny church signs, okay? <laughs> it's good to know that God's heart is one of love and compassion, that he sees us. When the Lord saw her, I, that may be one of the coolest parts of it. To know that God sees you and he cares. Not just about what's happening, but how you feel about it. Don't cry. He said, he then went up, verse 14 tells us, and touched the bier that they were carrying him on. It was a platform, kind of about the size of a door, most likely, with some low little sides. And the body was just laid on it. There's no casket. And Jesus touched it. Now, this alone was shocking. We're told that the bearers stood still. I imagine they might have even taken a step back because... When you touched a dead body, when you went into the room, according to Leviticus and the book of Numbers, you went into a room or a tent where a dead person had died, you were declared unclean for seven days. There were certain things you couldn't do, certain processes you had to go through for ceremonial cleansing. Rabbis were very careful about this because they couldn't carry out. Priests were extremely careful. Jesus, like any of the others, would have been aware of the cultural understanding. But he goes up and he touches Now, you go, why did they have all these ceremonial laws? What were those about? It was about purity. God was trying to encode into the DNA of a people an understanding of how significant purity is. And he used physical realities. There were all kinds of cleansings and physical understandings of the importance of purity because God wanted people to know sin corrupts and it kills. Impurity. The goal was always moral and spiritual purity. But he used physical illustrations to teach them. And and the whole thing all along has been God hates sin. You know why? Because it kills those that he loves. God doesn't hate sin just because, you know, it ticks me off and I wish y'all would be better. God hates sin because he loves us. And sin always destroys. It always separates. Scripture says it always kills. It's not a game. And when God calls us out of a life of sin, it's not because he doesn't want us to have any fun or because he's picking on us. It's because he loves us. I've used the illustration before. Those ladies with mothers against drunk drivers, you, you know, you've, you've heard about them. They're not playing when it comes to drunk driving. Okay? There's zero tolerance. And they can downright be a pain when they get up in it because they think someone is encouraging drunk driving. And it's because they've lost someone they love to it. So they're not playing. And we don't blame them. We get it. That's how God is towards sin. He's not playing. He loves us. He created us for something amazing. And those moral purity laws, the ceremonial laws, were designed to illustrate and train a people how important that purity was. But what's interesting is they had kind of missed the point and had been very much into the rules and regulations of the purity and forgot about actually being purified in the heart before God, which is what Jesus came to illustrate and set straight. It's one of those things I think sometimes in the church, we've gotten that sideways at times. We think in terms of, you know, and I've I've been a part of churches that seen this, that, that have done this, and I've seen this kind of circle of wagons mentality. And we have to kind of keep pure. We have to keep, and we, we kind of have to keep all those people out there. 
you know, they're out there and, and we're, we're pure in here. And there might even be some sort of good motive at the core of it, but it's highly misguided when you understand Jesus came to save and to seek out the lost. Those people out there, yeah, that's, what all of, that's where all of us came from. And God has a passionate love for all those people out there. And I think we can get caught up in this kind of misguided sense of trying to keep this separation. And I'm not talking about in our hearts a purity before God, the biblical idea of sanctification. I'm talking about a, a distance between us and because somehow we might get defiled. Yeah, Jesus kind of turned that whole idea upside down in what he did. So he touches the platform they're carrying him on. They stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. Now, can you imagine that moment? People are like, okay, this just went from weird to, okay. I've heard some crazy teachers before, but this one takes the cake. What's he expecting? Young man, I say to you, get up. But then the dead man sat up and began to talk. Can you imagine those poor guys holding the thing? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He sat up and he began to talk, the scripture says. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Can you, can you just imagine that moment? Here's a question regarding the, the, the kind of being unclean. If you touch a dead person and they don't stay dead, are you still unclean? It's a fair question. See, I bet the rabbis had a tough time with that one. See, the mother had received the last word, then she received this compassionate word, but then she received an impossible word. Woman, here's your son. She received a new last word. Verse 16 tells us, they were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. What's so cool is that when they start out, there were two very different crowds. And then after Jesus did this, there's only one and they're all praising God. Because they'd seen the power of God. You see, people who've seen the power of God are different. They can come from different backgrounds, different places, but they understand what it is that's happening. There were two crowds, and now they were one because they'd received a new last word. Now, sometimes I wonder, when the disciples experienced the resurrection of Jesus, just a couple years later, when they experienced the resurrection of Jesus, did they remember this event? Did they remember this story? Because as much as they had seen, as much as Jesus told them, tear this temple down in three days, I'll rise it up. I'm going to rise again. They, the resurrection caught them off guard. They did not understand because they had the lens that we have been trained to have. Death always has the final word. And this seemed to be no exception. John tells us, John 19, on the cross, beginning at verse 28, Jesus had been on the cross for a time, and we're told later, knowing that everything has, had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head, and he gave up the Spirit. It is finished. The last word of Jesus. The disciples 
I think, misunderstood. Because what they saw, they saw their friend, their teacher, their rabbi, they saw him die. And the last thing they heard him say is, it is finished. They watched him die. They watched a Roman soldier walk up, take a spear to make sure Jesus was dead, and stick it into his chest. And the blood and water had separated, and they knew, okay, he's dead. When he had said, it is finished, they thought he meant, it's done, it's over, I'm done. And then they watched him actually be done. So it's no wonder they were confused. Now, what we come to find out, Jesus wasn't talking about that. But they didn't know that. Do you know they never called it Good Friday, at least not on that day? Yeah, it wasn't Good Friday. It was the day everything they'd hoped for died. And so they sit on that next Saturday, that Sabbath. But on Sunday morning, some women went after the Sabbath to go and they had spices and the things needed for the proper burial preparation for Jesus' body, an unbelievable act of love. And we're told that when they got to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away. And at first they're like, okay, is this vandals? What's going on here? But then they met a messenger from God, Matthew 28, beginning at verse 5. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. It's empty. Verse 7 picks up. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. They received a totally new last word. He's not here. He's risen. And I want to suggest to us, that means so have we. Every one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we've received a new last word. He's not here. He's risen. What are you looking so glum for? You know, kind of neighborhood rules. You remember if there's one kid who's the toughest kid in the neighborhood and, you know, one of the other guys rises up and kind of can beat him down and beat him. Now he's the toughest kid, right? Jesus had beat the toughest kid in the neighborhood. A new last word. That's what this is all about. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because this is what I want you to remember and I want this to shape how we move from this time forward. Jesus is alive and well and he is the last word. Jesus is alive and well, and he is the last word. Now, you're going to have to decide right now, what do you believe about that? You have to decide if you believe that, because if we understand the truth of this powerful declaration, Jesus is alive and well, and he is the last word, we have a living Savior. And a living Savior means a couple of really significant things. Number one, our faith has real power. Our faith has real power. Even death is not final. So, folks, listen to me. That means neither is sickness. If death isn't final, neither is sickness. Neither is failure. I don't care how, how far you've fallen, how much you failed. It's not final. Hardship, job loss, not final. Love lost, abandonment, these are not final, and they do not get the last word. That's a fact. That's the truth. Do you know one of the greatest signs that we don't actually believe so much of the truth the Scripture gives us, so many of the promises the Scripture gives us, is our hesitancy and how slow we are to pray? Prayer is one of the greatest signs of faith that there is. Here's what I mean by that. When your back is against the wall and something's coming at you and it's serious, okay, you can always tell what you really have faith in, what you truly believe. Faith is a belief so strong you have to act on it. When your back is against the wall, you are always going to turn to that thing that you have the most faith in, that you believe most. 
And the fact that we are so often hesitant to really pray and say, God, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening with my job. Here's what's happening in my family. Here's what's happening in my marriage. Here's what's happening in my health, in my friend's health. The fact that we are so hesitant to trust him with those big things suggests that maybe we don't really believe it. Do we understand? We have a living Savior, and he always has the last word. That same power that raised him from the dead is power for us who believe. That's what the scripture says. Jesus is alive and well. He has the last word. A second implication of this is that you're not alone. I'm not alone. Matthew 28, 20 says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is not just romantic language. Jesus was serious. He literally promised to be with us always. And some of you are going, okay, literally, yes, literally. I didn't say physically. Understood, he promised he would send his spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, when those believers received his spirit, that same spirit was poured out and promised to every one of us who believe. And the promise was that we would have his presence. This whole thing is, not, again, not just about some set of rules. Okay, we had lived under one old set of rules, and now in Jesus we got a new set of rules, and God hopes we work it out and figure our way to get to him. No, it's the whole point is a relationship. He says, I want to do life with you. I want you to do life with me. I created you for abundant life, real life, and I am, by my spirit, going to be with you to empower you to live the life that I created you for. That's some powerful stuff. Stop and think about it. You're not alone. He didn't say, hey, figure it all out and let me know how you're doing. Check in every once in a while. He said, I'm going to be with you. And for all who believe, who trust in Jesus, surrender their lives to him, he is literally desiring by his spirit to live in us, dwell in us, commune with us. That's the whole point of this faith thing, folks. It's a relationship with him. It's one of the greatest gifts God ever gave. His presence, his life in us. We were made for it. His word, his voice, his life in us. Jesus is alive and well, and he is the last word. The last implication of a living Savior is that he really does get the last word. He does get the last word over death, over all of it. Here's what the scripture says, and let me just take a moment and talk a little theology with you. Okay, very simple, but so practical and important. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. What that means is sin has with it a death penalty. Sin is this thing that, that man, great, 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 all the way back, grandfather Adam and Eve, they chose for us this idea that we're going to do it our way instead of God's. And since that time, we are all born into sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. I think it's all have sinned, and maybe instead of pastors and ministers. I don't know if they actually have. But, eh, I, won't, I won't look it up now. Yeah, you know there's no exception, right? Everybody, all of us, no exceptions, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Paul later tells us in that same letter, the penalty or the wages of sin is death. It always kills. It always separates from God. The greatest tragedy of sin is that it breaks off this relationship with Father that we were intended to have. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why Jesus? See the cross? That's why we always have a cross. 
That's why so many of us wear cross necklaces. It's about the cross because Jesus had no sin of his own. It says he knew no sin. And then he voluntarily gave his life on the cross to pay the death penalty, the right and the just death penalty for my sins and for yours. So that Father could in the same moment, and this is the brilliance of it, he could be perfectly just, because if God weren't just, he wouldn't be good. Justice is sin deserves a death penalty. In the holy, righteous order of things, sin deserves a death penalty. Father could be just, and he could also be fully merciful. Because for those who accept that free gift in Jesus, who surrender their life to him, he could look when they come, and he could say, ah, you're forgiven. Your debt's been paid by my son Jesus. Come, enjoy the presence of the Lord. And I'm not just talking about one day in eternity after we leave this earth. I am talking about today, right now, the ability to enter into the presence of the Lord and experience the life and the grace and the truth that he created us for. That's the power of the gospel. That father could be fully just and say, the penalty for your sin has been paid. Justice has been served. But he could also fully be merciful and say, you're forgiven. You're set free. I want to encourage you. Don't give sin and death the last word. It's as simple as inviting him into your heart and asking him to forgive your sins and accepting that free gift of his death on the cross. Beauty is not only does he want to forgive the sins of the past, but he wants to come into your life and he'll lead you into a different kind of future. So I want you just to take a moment, stop and consider what's been having the last word in your life. How about we enter into the abundant life that he intended for us and we let him actually have the last word. Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio with this special Easter message called The Last Word, which is available on demand at reallife.org. But we do hope you join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, with service times on Saturday nights at 5 and Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.